So this is a direct competitor of mine. We've probably been against each other on a lot of things over many years. We had a call. We came up with a really practical and pragmatic solution that worked for the candidate, worked for the client, and worked for both of us. And the client was deliriously happy. The candidates worked out really well. And when they had a new job, they've come straight back to us. Hi, this is Mark Whitby, and welcome to another episode of the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. My guest today is Jason Elias. Jason is the CEO of Elias Recruitment, specialist legal recruiters based in Sydney, Australia. Jason started out his career as a lawyer, but quickly found his true calling and switched to recruiting. We had a fascinating conversation about running a successful recruiting firm, which Jason has done since 2000. We discussed how and why he decided to build a firm and hire a team of recruiters across Australia. What's particularly interesting about that is that Jason told me he doesn't like managing people. And yet he's designed a business model that allows him to grow a thriving practice with a whole team of people in spite of that. So if you're a solo recruiter and you've always thought to yourself that you don't want the hassle of managing employees, then keep an open mind and listen into this episode because you might find that Jason's formula could work well for you. Another interesting thing about Jason is his perspective on competition. He actually enjoys partnering and collaborating with other recruiters, so much so that he's the incoming chair of NPA Worldwide, which is a member-owned split fee network based in the United States, but with members worldwide. Jason explained to me how he is able to better serve his clients and generate extra revenue that he would have never otherwise had through the power of split fees. So Jason, tell me, how did you go from being a lawyer to a recruiter? I have a funny background, Mark, insofar as I get on with most of my ex-girlfriends. So there's never really been like some big acrimonious breakup. So years ago, when I was studying at the College of Law, which is the last hurdle you have to do before you become a lawyer, that was on the far side of Sydney. And I had an ex-girlfriend that lived around the corner. So I used to pop over there every now and again and have dinner with her. And and during this time, her mum and I actually had great conversations. And fast forward a couple of years, her mum had become a legal recruiter. And she'd bring me up and ask me, you know, what's an affidavit or I don't really understand what this means. So I'd help her out for time to time in her job. And one day she must have picked something in my voice that I wasn't a super happy camper. So we went for a coffee and she told me about the world of recruitment and I'd never heard of recruitment. I couldn't believe that someone's job was actually getting another person a job. (laughs) But what she said was that I'd spend my day in coffee shops chatting to interesting people. I thought that sounds more like my personality. So I quit my job as a lawyer. They were very upset at my law firm and did lots of things to try to keep me. And it was very nice and great for the ego. But I went and worked with this lady and we just had a great time. And I built a very successful desk for the firm I was with. And quite frankly, they didn't provide much. So they were a secretarial firm and I built a professional desk. So very soon after that, I was realized, why am I building a business for them? My loyalty was the lady who was my ex-girlfriend's mum and she left the firm. So I had no reason to stay. So I went out on my own and 
as uh, coincidence would happen, she and I ended up sharing an office for the first few months. And that was in May 2000. So we're going on close to 20 years now. Wow, that's fantastic. Cool story. I like it. Looking back over the last 20 years, what would you say have been a couple of the highlights or the things that you feel most proud about? I've got to say, I've never got the idea of being super competitive with other recruiters being my enemy and not trusting them. I've always really enjoyed the idea of going to recruitment conferences and learning from other recruiters and going to hear great trainers such as yourself. And that's when I stumbled across NPA Worldwide, where the whole ethos is working collaboratively with other recruiters. So now I'd say a third of my business would be splits with other agencies, and some of them are financial, some of them are non-financial, some of them are NPA, some of them are not NPA. But I do have a good network of recruiters that I mix with and socialise with, and I find they add great value to my business, and hopefully I add great value to theirs. And I think I did eight splits last year, which for a firm our size is not bad at all. Wow, that's really interesting. A third of your fees come from splits. Yep. So tell me about these eight splits you had last year. How did those come about? Various things. So because I'm known as a legal guy, I serve on the recruitment industry body here, the RCSA. So I'm the chair of the New South Wales ACT Regional Council. So one of my fellow council members, she works for an organisation and that organisation needed a lawyer. Now, these guys are experts in a whole range of different fields, but they're not experts in law. So they rang me up and said, will you help out our clients? Now, this is not a fee sharing. There's no financial incentive here. They basically handed the client to us on a platter and said, please look after them. And we're doing really well with that job at the moment. So that's great. Wow. And that's cool. Yeah. And hopefully I'll be able to reciprocate with them as well. And the other ones, for example, is I'm on the panel for a new Australian government department. And they've got jobs all over Australia and I, you know, it's like an open brief. So I have so many, they'll look at any candidates we can provide. So I think I've filled now four or five of those from candidates that have been introduced to me by other recruiters. Okay. So in that case, you're working the client side and you're getting candidates from others. Yeah, but I do both sides as well. Okay. Interesting. Explain to me this government board you're on. I think I'm missing that part. In Australia, we're a federation, so there are states as well as a federal government, much like the US. So each state has their own panel suppliers and the federal government has one. So I'm on the panel for one of the major government departments and they give us a brief to find them people with legal expertise to come and work in that department. And because they have branches all over Australia, we've done placements in multiple states for them. Wow, okay. With cooperation from our other recruitment buddies. So in that case, you're actually cooperating with other legal recruiters? Yes. So this one is sort of a hybrid. So it's sometimes accounting, sometimes legal. Okay. And we're dealing with those ones, yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. How did all this come about where you started collaborating with other recruiters? It's not unheard of, but I wouldn't say it's the norm either. No, it's sometimes these things sort of happen by accident in a way. So years ago, there was a publication that asked recruiters to advertise in it yeah and I was young and quite naive and I thought sure so I threw a lot of money at this publication and I didn't get one phone call so I flipped through it I found there was an accounting recruiter had advertised in the accounting section so I rang him up and I said what was your ad response like and he said 
well, let's go for a beer. So we had a beer, as was what you do in Australia, and we hit it off. And he was telling me all about the fact that he actually speaks to a lot of other recruiters. And I felt a little bit like Robinson Crusoe at that stage. And I liked him. And it just so happened that the NPA Worldwide Australia group was meeting for their annual conference two days later. So they fast-tracked my membership and I walked in and it was like, these were my people. Uh, so I walked in and I just felt instantly comfortable. They made me feel comfortable. There was no sort of hiding of IP. Everyone was very transparent, happy to share. And uh, in those days, I was, I was probably the youngest of the group. So they kind of, some of these guys took me under their wings and mentored me. And I, I really, I love that feeling of not being just on my own, fighting against the world, like a lot of small boutique recruiters happen to be. And then when I found out they were international, that widened my horizons as well. Wow. That's a great story. Now, just so that people can look this up, what's the NPA website? Yeah, so NPA stands for National Personnel Associates, which is a really great name considering they're not national. No <laughs> one's used the word personnel for about 85 years, and it's not really an association either. It's a, it's a member-owned cooperative. So other than those three being completely out the window, the website is npaworldwide.com. Okay, fantastic. And what it is, is it's basically an organization that's put some rules around it so that recruiters can collaborate with other recruiters in a safe environment. And one of the things I love about it is that it is a safe environment. So for example, if you and I did a, a split mark and I decided that I didn't like you anymore and I didn't want to pay you because you know I don't like your accent or your star sign or your shoe size or for whatever reason, then all I'd need to do is call the NPA and they'd resolve it. And if they can't get the money from you, then there's a fidelity fund that will compensate me. So you really feel like you're in a safe environment. And I've been on the ethics committee and I've, I've dealt with disputes and generally there are very few. And when they are, it's not because somebody is trying to shaft somebody else. It's more that it's something nobody had thought of, usually around guarantee periods. Interesting. All right. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I actually know NPA. I've dealt with Dave Nertz in the past. Is he still? Yeah, Dave is our president. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's been there probably about 12 years now. He's doing a great job. Okay. Fantastic. I came across NPA when I used to run a virtual summit called Big Biller Summit. Oh, yes. I've attended quite a few of those. Oh, I cool. think through Mark Gionta. Oh, yes. Okay. Mike. Yeah. yeah. NPA became a sponsor for Big Biller Summit. So that's when I first came across them. And I actually presented a webinar for MPA members as well. It was called Inbound Marketing Roadmap for Recruiters, How to Generate Warm Leads on Autopilot. And that was well received. In fact, if listeners would like to hear the most recent version of that webinar, then they can find it at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash masterclass. So I'm familiar with uh, NPA, but what exactly is your role with them, Jason? So NPA, unlike the other organizations, is not owned by a corporation. It's not owned by somebody with deep pockets. It's actually owned by the members. So all the members have an equal stake in it. Consequently, the leadership is appointed from the members. So people volunteer at various levels. Uh, so in the NPA, I was a director for the Australian region for four years. And I've now been on the executive team as secretary, treasurer and chair elect. And at our next annual meeting, which is going to be in New Orleans in March, I'll be taking up the chairmanship globally, which is a, a wonderful honor and the first for somebody from this part of the world. All right. Fantastic. When's the New Orleans conference? Uh, I think it's five and six of March. Okay. 
Okay, fantastic. That's interesting. So that's how you got introduced to this idea of split fees was through NPA and, and this accounting recruiter that you connected with. And how long ago was that? 16 years ago. Wow. Okay. When I had a lot more hair and a lot less weight. <laughs> so 16 years ago. And do you know how many split fees you've done in that time? Uh, look, I don't know the exact number of fees, but there are various levels of membership based on the placements you've done. So I'm now a gold member, which means if you added up all the salaries of the placements that I've made, it would add up to more than $2 million US dollars. Great. And I've probably been a gold member for about four or five years. So it's going to be more than that now. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. In terms of fees for me, well, every cent is a dollar I wouldn't have otherwise have made. And it would probably add it up to, I don't know, somewhere between half a million and a million US dollars, I yeah. think, over the years. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a bonus because that's on top of your bread and butter, your normal. And also, more importantly, what I found, I'll give you an example. I have a client in the Northern Territory of Australia and I rang her up just to see how she's going. And she said, look, I've got no jobs for you. And I said, oh, what do you mean by for me? She said, well, I've got a job, but it's in IT. And I said, I can help you. And she said, no, Jason, you're a legal recruiter. And I said, no, 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 I can help. I've got these connections. So I introduced her to a colleague of mine, Scott. Scott rang her up and managed to fill a position for her. Now, yes, I got a little fee out of Scott for it. We negotiated something, so I got a thank you. But more importantly, I know that had I not being able to service her, there's a very good chance she would have gone to a mega recruiter. And the mega recruiter wouldn't have been content just filling the IT job. They probably would have taken the jobs in my niche as well. So rather than having a client worry about anything, I just say, let me take that pain away from you, irrespective of if it's legal or any other area, I can help you find somebody that will fill your job. And clients love it. That's a great perspective. Let's talk a bit about the specialization because I'm a big believer in having a niche and focusing on that rather than trying to say, oh, I can fill your IT jobs for you and I can fill your legal jobs for you and trying to do it all yourself. Now for you, the specialization was kind of a, a no brainer because you had a legal background already. You're trained and worked as a lawyer. So that was a and natural- And that's where my contacts are too. Right. So that's where your contacts are. So that was kind of a, a natural for you. But what do you see as being the benefits of having that you know, niche position and focusing purely on, on legal, being a specialist in legal? Having a niche allows so many things for you. One is you become an expert in an area and you understand it. If somebody rang me up tomorrow and asked me to do Ruby on Rails developers, I'd have to start from scratch. So I think to be a recruiter in this day, you have to understand what you're talking about. The other thing is a database. You know, you don't want to be starting from scratch. One week you've got software developers, the next thing you've got electrical engineers. So I now have a very deep database of recruiters, oh, sorry, of lawyers, because I've been working this market now for, for 20 years. And that helps. And that, that's a selling point too. Because I know that I can bring up a client and say, look, I've interviewed two or three lawyers a day for the last 20 years. If it's not somebody I know, then it's somebody I know knows them. So you, you have those degrees of separation as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes, that makes total sense. So in terms of building your own practice, Jason, what's the sort of size and structure of your team? So I am based in Sydney and I have an EA who's been with me about six years, who's a former recruiter, and she helps organize me. I also have a team, not dissimilar to your last speaker, actually, of remote consultants. 
who work almost as, as independent contractors. Some of them are technically employees, whatever they, they prefer to be, they can be. And they work and we provide them with the infrastructure, the jobs, we provide them with the jobs for them to fill. And we provide them with all the systems, the database, the advertising, all the bits and pieces so they're uh, armed to do it. And and I, I've moved away from taking on as many jobs, so I basically am the backbone so I can guide them through any difficulties they go through each role. And that's allowed me to leverage more effectively because I've only got X amount of hours in the day and this allows me to be able to provide greater service for my clients because I've got a team around it. And my team is based nationally. So I've got people in all the major capitals in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Perth. Got it. Okay, interesting. Now, this is something that you've achieved, which is not easy and which a lot of making that transition from being a sole practitioner, if you like, to having a team in place is not easy to uh, take that step. What would you say were some of the mistakes that you've learned from and and how have you made it work for you? Yeah, so I've kissed a lot of frogs before I found my princess, that's for sure. (laughs) Okay. And what I've done is I've tried various pricing models and remuneration structures to get to where I am now. The person has to be able to be confident enough to back themselves and not need hand-holding. I don't know if it's coincidence or whatever, but everybody who's joined my team is female. Okay. I find them quite insightful with personalities that and pick up things that sometimes us guys just can't. They're all my age or older. You'd probably call that uh, middle-aged or beyond. Uh, none of them are, are we whippersnappers. With the exception, I've got one person that just joined towards the end of last year who is more junior, and she's got a hybrid role. So half of her role is supporting the other consultants on a paid basis. And then she also does some recruitment on her own right as well. Okay. Uh, particularly because her background's been accounting and office management. She's done some of those roles for us and, and done quite well. All right. Interesting. So you said you, you've had to kiss a few frogs. What is your process now for attracting, identifying, selecting team members that, you know, is working for you? This won't be helpful to your listeners, I'm afraid, but they're all people I've known. So, for example, Margot, who joined us late last year, was an NPA member who had her own firm for many years and then didn't want to start again on her own and was based in a geography where I had a need. So we talked for the best part of eight months before she came across mm-hmm. and she's been very successful. Then another one was a former client of mine. So she's known me from the other side of the fence. Yeah, so everybody has been somebody who I've had some previous connection to either through being a client through or being a colleague. And, and that's helped, I think, because they know what they're getting themselves into. They know me. And there is a lot of trust involved in this situation as well, because, you know, obviously it's not the same as getting a base salary straight off the bat. Once again, they have complete flexibility. So they can work when and where they want. There's no KPIs. There's nothing. The, the general rule is as long as the clients are happy and the candidates are happy, I'm happy. Interesting. We treat each other as grown-ups, and I, I think that in this world, there's not enough of that. Yeah, okay. I hear what you're saying for sure. And so how many people are you in total then at uh, Elias? Seven at the moment. So seven of you. We're, we're talking to a resource next week who's going to be a supporter for us. Okay. So it makes total sense tapping into your own network, people you already know and trust and, and who you think you can work well with and, and so on. Obviously, that is not scalable in the sense that you tap out your own 
network of contacts who may wish to come work with you. What are your plans for the, the future of the, of the firm? It is scalable in a way. So what I found really useful, Mark, is I've been connecting with other recruitment agencies on Facebook. There are quite a lot of groups. And I've found that there are some people out there who are very, very good at the candidate sourcing side, but may not be as strong on the client side. So should I want to take on more people, I would probably reach out to those. And that's how I actually found one of my people in in Australia uh, through that and say, hey, look, I've got this opportunity. Are you interested in coming on board? I'll be able to provide you with the work because I'm very good at the business development side, but I need need more hours in the day or more people to help me fill the roles. That lady is actually running her own recruitment business under her own banner and also subcontracts to us. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And there's a lot of people out there who are open to those sorts of arrangements. Just out of curiosity, do you have a favorite Facebook group? So some of the uh, the groups I like are the recruiters who make placements. Oh, yeah. There are a few more. And I think I've seen your name pop up on a few of them too, Mark. I'm a big fan of Katrina Collier as well. And I've been uh, reading her robot proof recruiter book, which if anyone hasn't read is definitely worthwhile. Okay, brilliant. I'll check it out. And recruiters who make placements, I definitely, uh, I'm, I'm a member of that group as well. That's a good one. Thanks for that, Jason. So coming back to the growth of your own firm, like looking back, what would you say have been your biggest accomplishments? You mentioned one, which was eight split fees last year, which is uh, pretty impressive. Anything else that springs to mind? I've got to say, I think that I've been very fortunate to have discovered the NPA. A few years ago, they flew my wife and I to New Orleans for an annual conference because I got what's called the Chairman's Award, which is their most prestigious honour. So that was wonderful. And I've been able to win a few accolades throughout the recruitment industry. And, and that, that's very nice recognition for the hard work the team behind me often does. Um, I'm very involved in the industry. So I'm involved in the recruitment industry here in Australia through the RCSA. I do quite a few presentations. And I think that the model for me is that we don't really compete with other agencies. We mainly compete with clients that are trying to do it themselves. True. So more we can help each other. I mean, I had a, a very unusual situation a few months ago, Mark, where I was on a retained assignment and I had a candidate who was ready to take the job and she had an unfortunate family issue with one of her parents. So she basically said, look, I have to pull the plug on this, quite understandably. So we're at square one when we thought we really were at the end of the road. The client brings me up because we've got a good relationship and says, look, I know we've engaged you and I know it's exclusive and I know it's retained, but some other recruiter has just approached us out of the complete blue with a candidate that we really think is worth interviewing. So I said, well, look, you know, my job's to make sure you feel you're brief, so I get that. But why don't you call the other recruiter and say, look, you've already paid a fee. You don't want to pay two fees, but I'm happy to split the fee with them. So this is a direct competitor of mine. We've probably been against each other on a lot of things over many years. We had a call. We came up with a really practical and pragmatic solution that worked for the candidate, worked for the client, and worked for both of us. And the client was deliriously happy. The candidates worked out really well. And when they had a new job, they've come straight back to us. So it's a win-win-win. I think it's you can't look at just each placement. You've got to play the long game. And that's one of the advantages of uh, you know being in this business for 20 years is people know that I've been around for the long game. And a lot of my competitors have 
uh, are people who've maybe been in the country for a little while or just new to recruitment and there's not that many of us with as many grey hairs as me now and that's definitely been an advantage. I love how you are really thinking about the client in this case and how you can you know get the best outcome for them really so that's hopefully got account for something in turn. Oh, yes. You, you know, I could have kicked and screened in that, but I'd lose the client. And I, you know, at the end of the day, they're businesses and you want to make sure that they get the best results. And if you help your business, their business grow, then they'll help your business grow. And a lot of the clients that I'm dealing with now were ones I was dealing with 20 years ago. So one of the themes that's emerging today is the value of having a mentor. And if you'd be interested to explore a mentoring relationship with me, then I would like to invite you to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session. This consultation is exclusively for recruitment business owners and directors who want to increase their net fee income and grow their business. What will happen is I'll give your business a complete health check and identify a minimum of three specific strategies that will help you to make more placements and improve your profitability. Since 2001, I've helped many recruiters to double or even triple their billings and managers and business owners to increase sales by 67% in 90 days. Could I help you to achieve similar results? Honestly, I don't know yet. I'll need to find out more about your business first. What I can promise is you'll leave the session feeling renewed, re-energized, and inspired to take your business to the next level. To request your free strategy session, go to www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Let's dive in there uh, a little bit. You you said something interesting, which is the biggest competitor is not so much other recruiters. It's actually clients themselves who want to do their own recruitment. How have you dealt with that issue? Because I, th- I feel like that trend is on the rise. Like, that's happening more and more these days. Yeah, Mark, What? just an observation. I started in 2000. I made so much money in such a short period. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. My old law firm became my biggest client. Everything works swimmingly. My girlfriend at the time, who's now been my wife for the last 15 years, and I were looking in yachting magazines, which yacht were we going to buy? <laughs> and then the 2001 recession came and taught me a lesson in humility. Right. And what happened then was we got lots of job orders. HR really didn't love recruitment, so they'd send it out to the agencies. And then the recession came, so they had to do it themselves. So we lost job orders. Then the market picked up. They outsourced HR. Then the GFC happened and they brought it in. So so there's been these constant cycles of in and out. What we noticed after the GFC is they didn't come back to us straight away. Yeah. The clients made an effort themselves to fill the roles and only when they were stuck would come to us. What's specific about Australia is there is one leading jobs board. So there's a bit of a monopoly. We don't have what the US or the UK have. There's pretty much one board and then there's daylight between the second and the third. So what happened was the clients, uh, law firms in particular, would put an ad up on this seek.com.au and X times out of 10, be able to find the candidates themselves and not use a recruiter. And because the agency fees were quite expensive because they were doing it on a contingent basis, this was a pressure from law firms and across other industries to cut back recruitment spend. Yes. 
then it became harder for agents. So what happened is it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because then a lot of the agents had found themselves not being able to make it in agency land, so they moved internally. And with more people internally, there was more pressure on using external spend, so it became almost like a vicious cycle. Got it. So we found that we really had to prove our value and often we found the easier jobs disappeared and clients would come to us when they really struggled and needed expertise. I think that's an excellent way of describing what's happened, Jason, to the industry. From your perspective, you're very well connected in, in the recruiting industry with the RCSA and, and you have lots of recruiting contacts by NPA. Is there a solution to counteract that dynamic of the, the rise of internal recruiters? Yeah, look, I think the key is to partner with the internal recruiter to make them realise that we're not their enemy, we're their friend. I mean, the job is you've got to make them look good. If they can do it themselves, that's great. Then that's what I say to internal recruiters. Do it yourself, save yourself the fee, that's what I'd do if I was you. But when you're at the point where you can't do it, then just come to one recruiter, whether it's me or whether it's my competitor. I'd love it to be me. But I'd much prefer you just come to one of us because the moment you don't give it exclusive, the agents won't focus nearly as much as when you do. So if you give me exclusive or a retainer or a small, what we call a container, which is a hybrid up front, you've got my attention and we're partners. But when you send it out to six or seven and I try to tell my staff they've got a one in seven chance of making a placement, they're going to give you the same priority as the others that are one and sevens, and you're not going to necessarily get there. You might get lucky, but, you know, quite frankly, people are realistic and they know how to do basic maths and they know they should focus on the ones where they're more likely to make a placement. I love it. That's a really good way of explaining the value of working exclusively, Jason. And, Mark, think about it. If you went to a realtor and you said, look, I'd like you to sell my house, uh, and I'm going to brief seven other realtors on it, they're not going to spend time on it. Yeah, exactly. It's a great analogy. Like, would they prepare a contract alongside seven others, but you're only going to pay one of them? That's right. And and the worst thing is recruiters, we also incur hard costs. So if I spend $250 on an ad, I could actually be $250 worse off than had I not even taken the brief. So we've really got to be careful and a bit more discerning about what jobs we work on. And as an industry, I think we've got ourselves to blame because if you went to a realtor, as I said before, and you said, list my house, and then all of a sudden you sold the house to your best friend, you still have to pay the realtor. Whereas a lot of clients are saying, look, try to fill this job, but at the same time, we're going to look at internal and external candidates ourselves. And it's not a great thing. And I think, quite frankly, if there was more value in what we provide as a recruiter and we're engaged exclusively, we could probably afford to discount our fees because at the moment the model is, hey, Mark, I'm going to charge you a fee that's probably disproportionate to the effort I put into this job because I just spent the last six jobs working on that I didn't get paid, which isn't a great model. I'm a full believer in working retained, uh, ideally, or at least exclusive. What's the sort of mix in your business in terms of, Probably 50-50. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And and if they are contingent, we'd be one of two. The moment there's more than two recruiters, we very politely say, yes, if somebody comes across our desk, but we just won't actively work it. You know what I mean? We've Sometimes you get lucky and there's like somebody falls into your lap, but, you know, the ones that where the client is working closely and partnering with us, they get a reward. They get our priority as well. Great. Absolutely. I love it. 
And to be honest, in this market where we can afford to be fussy, you know, we can afford to work with only the clients we want to work with. And we've sacked a few clients this year. What was your criteria for sacking those clients? I had one person that told me they didn't want to interview a candidate of uh, Sri Lankan background because they already had one ethnic in their office. Oh, dear. I had one client that told me not to send any female lawyers unless they kept their ovaries in a box. Oh, my God. Very easy to discern who you want to work with. Yeah, those are pretty clear cut. But they're lawyers, Mark. That's the thing. These came out of the mouths of lawyers, which is very scary scary. in this day and age. Are there any others that you fired? Yeah, we've noticed that those that haggle very, very hard up front tend to not be easy people to deal with throughout the process. And ones that sort of take a while signing the documentation and those ones, you can kind of tell if if that's the way they are at the start of the process, then every now and again, when I do go down that path, I always regret it. So we learned to be a lot more discerning and we want somebody who wants to partner with us and will get back to us, will give us feedback, we'll, we'll play the game appropriately. Absolutely. Great. That's a good point. Jason, the role you're doing right now is essentially you're, you're a billing manager. So you're, you've got your own clients, you're doing business development, you're making placements, but you're also managing a team. And I kind of believe that's the hardest job in recruitment because either of those could be a full-time job. In fact, in a sense, you've got three different, well, you've got four jobs because you've got the NPA job, you've got the CEO of Elias Recruitment, which is running a business and everything that entails. You're also running a desk and you're also managing a team. How do you juggle or manage your time so that you're able to also have time with your family and, and everything else? It is a real struggle, Mark, I've got to say. And very foolishly, I started a master's course last year. Oh, my year God. Too. Uh, I know, I know. And I've got a few side hustle businesses too. So, <laughs> It's not easy, and I've got to tell you, out of all those things, I think I'm a very good recruiter. I think I'm probably a really good business manager, business owner, and I'm great on the tech and the BD side. I hopefully am doing a very good job with NPA. I'm a lousy manager of my team. So what I have done is acknowledge that and brought in experts. One of the team members does sort of all the admin and keeps me up to date with where people are at. We have a Monday morning Zoom call where everyone comes in. I touch base with all, all the people pretty much, if not daily, every second day. And I brought in an external person to help with sort of man- helping them manage their targets. So the, the best analogy is it's almost like they're a franchisee in a way and we're providing the infrastructure. So I'm helping them with an admin person, with a sales target person, and there's no sticks. It's all... I'll give you these resources, and if you want to make $100 or $2 million, that's your call. I won't whack you over the head. My criteria is clients are happy, candidates happy, but I will give you those tools, and where I lack the ability to do that, I've brought in external people in to be able to facilitate that. Who, who I pay for out of my pocket, they don't pay any extra for that, but I feel that I'm not very good at the telling people what to do business. I want people to be adults and to be mature enough and know when they need to call me, I'm always there for them. But I don't have the ability to sit there or desire to sit there and say, you haven't met KPIs on this target or that target. In fact, I wouldn't know what each person's build. I'm probably too laissez-faire. <laughs> okay, interesting. That was my homework for the holidays. It's it's sitting on a piece of paper I can see, but I haven't necessarily sat down and done the calculations. 
And my ATS doesn't do it as easily as I'd like it to. Do. I love it that you're very aware of your own strengths and and. Oh yeah, you have to be. But I'm not trained at this. Remember, I'm a lawyer. Right. That's my training. right. So then the question becomes: Is the extra time and, for lack of a better word, hassle of managing people, is that worth the reward that you're getting from it, or would you be better off just being a very high performing solo practitioner? Yeah, so this is where I have to talk quite personally, Mark. So there was a time where I would have a few consultants hanging off me and they're almost like pistons. You'd have two firing and two not firing and they'd never be the same ones. And it always sort of, you get to the stage where you're going, oh gosh, we're carrying this person at $80,000. I'm really losing money on them. And then you sort of start doing and managing them out and then they start performing and the previous performers didn't and it all sort of equaled out. That didn't work for me because I'm quite risk averse. You know, I'm in a situation where I've got three children, I've got private school fees, we live in a nice suburb, my wife works in disability services, which is a wonderful thing she does for the community but doesn't necessarily bring in a great amount of money into the household. So I had to work out what where the priorities lay. So moving to the model where I'm on the commission only has taken that risk away. To be honest, if I sat there with one offsider and just made lots of placements, I would probably be more financially successful in the short term. But then I bought myself a job. Mm, yes. And I don't want to buy myself a job. I want to build a business. Yes. So if I'm hit by the proverbial bus, my business could probably still go on. And in fact, one or two of the people in it might want to take over. So what we've done now is we've built a national model. We've got good people. We've got people with expertise in the area. And hopefully we've got a good reputation that's growing because of that, that geographic and expertise spread. Great answer. And I agree 100%. You know, if the business can't operate without you to allow you to take some time off, go on holiday, go to a conference in New Orleans and what have you, or, you know, you get hit by the bus or what have you, then you don't really have a business, right? You've got a job. And and while the market's so buoyant, I'd be silly trying to fill all these jobs myself. I'm much better off delegating some of them and getting a, a split. Of, it's almost like NPA. Yeah. I'm getting a split from, in, from people who are part of my yeah. team. Okay, that makes total sense. You mentioned that you are strong on the BD and on the tech. You know, what's in your tech stack that you are excited about? Yeah, so I do a lot of presentations on the tech stuff. Um, and in fact, one of the side hustles I have is uh, one of my, my mates who I made through the NPA, he and I are putting together a website where we uh, will share tech tools and, and try to get some discounts for, for people to do it. So there are a lot of ones. I really like Lucia. I think that's great for getting the phone number and contact details of people, uh, particularly through LinkedIn. Yep. I played around with higher tool. I think for certain markets, it's really good. I quite like some of the things that aren't necessarily recruitment specific, but Zoom is just fantastic. I think that using Calendly has probably saved me an hour a week. All these things that dovetail very nicely into recruitment. Uh, I'm very happy with my ATS. It's got an API that allows it to sync with a whole lot of other different third-party softwares. So I think that uh, recruiters should try to automate as much as possible. So if they're looking at ATSs, you find one that's that's compatible with Zapier yes. so they can automate a whole lot of steps in the process. I think that's a good idea. I'm using one now called talk.to, which is basically a chat feature on my website, and that's free. So a lot of the tools I have are either free or very cheap. 
not all necessarily recruitment specific, but there's there's quite a few really good ones I, I do like. I I find that the Sourcing Ninja is a good product, uh, which is a Chrome extension, and then little things like uh, LastPass, uh, Grammarly, all those ones make my life a lot easier. Yeah, and also I, I use Gmail for our work email, yeah. and I find that the Google searching is great. So sometimes when I'm a little bit lazy, I'll just type keywords into my Gmail. And it will not only interrogate emails, but also attachments. So sometimes I get people through Gmail that I don't necessarily find through my ATS. I switched to Gmail for that same reason for the search capability, because I didn't want to spend lots. I, when I used Outlook, I had this complex folder directory, you know, to try and file everything. But now I just like archive everything that. Yeah, you don't need to spend any time on folders anymore. You know, I've got one for my invoices and a couple of things that I just want ready reference. Oh, sorry, a couple of other ones. I really like FreshBooks. Okay. Which I use for my invoicing. Yep. And I really like PandaDoc. And there's a similar one called Quilla, K-W-I-L-R, which is a proposal software. So it looks schmick and I can get signatures from clients. Great. So that's, you send your retained search proposal over electronically? Or, or my, even my... Or, okay. And then they sign it electronically, send it back, but it looks... Correct. And it's got like, photos of all my staff. It's got a video testimonial from a happy client. It's got my fees. It's got uh, my terms. It's got everything in it, which which makes life a lot I like easier. that. So PandaDoc, Quilla, well, I, I don't, I've not heard of that one. Q-W-I-L-R. It's very similar to PandaDoc. The other thing I do, Mark, from time to time when I'm a bit bored is I look up Product Hunt or Capterra or there's another one, Get App. Yep. And you can just type in things like recruitment software, and it gives you a whole lot of different software products that you can look at that are useful. You, I imagine you're on top of that. Yeah, as well. you have to be careful though, because you know it's a time waste. Well, it's time, but also I subscribe to so many SaaS products that it really adds up. It's like a hundred dollars a month here and there, and then in fact, I was just looking at it with my accountant, and I've got so many that I'm not using. There's actually even one product that helps you manage your subscription. So, <laughs> oh, right. uh, and also I'm on AppSumo and I bought way too much crap on that too. Yeah. So of all that stuff, what would you say, like 80-20 rule, what's the 20% that you can live without? Definitely Calendly. That one's really good. I use a product for my job alerters in Australia called Referrer. So it basically allows me to one click through my ATS, post jobs onto my website. Mm -hmm. And not only that, if Mark, for example, you were to refer me a lead, you'd be able to see the progress of that referral through my system. So if I mark that the person's on interview, you would be notified. And we also have a referral program. So you know when you when the person gets placed that you get a thousand dollars from us. That's and it's all transparent. So they can see it in real time. Wait a sec. Referrer. Do you happen to know what the website address for that is? Yeah, referrer.io. .io. Because that's where a lot of these referral schemes fall down, right? Is that they're not transparent and they're not, they're difficult to administer. Well, to be honest, there is a reliance that the recruiters have to update things on the ATS. Of course, yes. There are times where recruiters can be a bit lazy with admin, if you've never noticed. But in theory, that should happen in real okay, time. Okay, interesting. Have you ever thought of, because I've got a client in Canada who's done really well with tapping into clients' own internal referral networks. And what she's done is she has 
created a referral scheme which she rolls out to her own clients. And essentially the way it works is this. She gives them like a referral link, which is unique to each person. She writes the social updates like for LinkedIn, Facebook, and so on that they can use to drive people to the landing page for that specific job and they can apply. And she encourages her clients' employees to share the job socially within their network It's all then tracked. And what she does is she pays, like, because all her clients will have their own internal referral schemes, right? But they don't actually use them. So she'll then pay the client's referral fee out of her placement fee. Yeah, okay. It's quite an interesting model. I love little clever things like that. In fact, that's what my master's paper was on, was on, you know, taking away my vested interest or another recruiter's, if we were to land from another planet and reinvent recruitment how would we do it and yeah how, how would you simplify it interesting yeah yeah well i got a good mark for it so hopefully it was impressive <laughs> well that sounds like we could a uh, subject for part two of this uh yeah this yeah that'd be great. so one final question jason is what are you reading these days i'll read anything that malcolm gladwell oh yeah puts out. i just I, I love his style um I love his blogs. I love his uh, his podcasts, except some of the music ones have lost me. But the, the historical ones are really interesting. Um, so I'm reading Talking to Strangers, which is quite clever. And then I also mentioned I got that book, the Katrina Collier one, which is the Robot Proof Recruiter, which has been really useful, particularly focusing on candidate care. If there's one thing that's going to make us distinguish ourselves going forward, we have to be candidate focused. I think getting jobs is not going to be a hard thing to do going forward. It's having the candidates and being able to get some sort of candidate loyalty too. I think that's a real issue for recruiters. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for that, uh, Jason. I loved talking today. So thanks for sharing Likewise. your 20 years uh, experience and the wisdom that you've built up in that time. And let's say to be continued. One oh, more yeah. thing is... Um, People interested in joining MPA worldwide or finding out more about that? Look, they have to go through a process to do it. So I'd much prefer they reach out to me and ask me a couple of questions. We'll save them a lot of time and energy. So if anyone wants to email me, it's just Jason, J-A-S-O-N, at Elias, E-L-I-A-S, recruitment.com. Shoot me a question. Ask me about anything I've discussed in this. I'm more than happy as I say, that I think that it's one of those things where the rising tide helps all of us. So if we can share IP and help each other out as fellow recruiters, then we'll all benefit from it. 100% agree. All right, Jason, we'll look, enjoy the rest of your day and, and we'll talk soon. Take care. All the all best. Right, take care. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. Be sure to check out the full show notes at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. And please consider subscribing so that you receive every new episode directly to your phone. Thanks for listening and see you next time.